flexibility is strength. And that's why the range of strength name, um, I think works so much better when you say that to people, because then they understand it's like, oh, it's the range of your strength. It's like, yeah, that's what flexibility is. It's the range of your strength. It's not just some passive um, range that you're born with, or it's just like natural or temporary also is the, the other myth that someone thinks if I stretch and I open up my range, it's only temporary. It's not going to stay. Um, so yeah, there's definitely still a lot of work to do. And that's why I like working with coaches. So working with coaches this year, it's like, if I help five coaches that all have 50 clients, it's like, it's like 2,500 people that I couldn't help. That was Lucas Hardy. I am Curtis Mansfield. And this is the Hips and Dips podcast. This week, we are heading back over to Canada via the means of Zoom to chat with a rather interesting character in Lucas Hardy. This is an episode of a difference because Lucas comes with a philosophy, a, a mindset, as opposed to a long CV of sports and achievements. Lucas grew up playing lots of sports in Canada, but really found his passion when it came to powerlifting. I won't give too much away in this intro, but let's just say injury rather hampered his developments in that sport. Despite what us mere mortals would probably consider very impressive PBs of 280, 160 and 265 kilos for squat, bench and deadlift respectively. A new approach was called for, leading Lucas to explore the concepts of strength and flexibility and improving a range of motion. Now, if you're not convinced that this is the right episode for you to listen to, then do the following. Head over to the Instagram page, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips with a Z or at range of strength. Witness for yourself how impressive this man's flexibility is. Before coming across Lucas, I didn't know your body could do these things. I thought that 180 degrees was the absolute maximum for a person's hips. But judging by Aaron, they just keep on going. Some of his positions look like cartoon characters after falling from a great height or having been sandwiched between comically placed boulders. Once you have checked out the socials and you're equal parts concerned, intrigued and disturbed, then you are ready to learn about my new Canadian friend. It's Lucas Hardy. Lucas, great to meet up with you. How are you doing? doing great man thanks for having me on yeah no you're very welcome uh obviously you're you're based over in canada and Same. we've had our first dusting of snow here in the uk this week with temperatures as low as one <laughs> so uh <laughs> give me an insight into what the weather's like over in canada we had uh we've had a couple big snowfalls but nothing's stayed very long we had some snow over christmas which was nice and uh just this week as well we got pr hit pretty hard so we have a good Good brushing of snow over right now it seems to be the winters come later now um and they stay longer so it's a little a little dreadful i guess but uh it's it's all right do you guys get a lot of snow over there uh well no <laughs> here, here in london we get very little um we like to complain about it when it does come but we talk yeah. with and you say a light brushing when we have a light brushing it's like millimeters of snow i'm sure when you get a light brushing you're talking <laughs> inches. inches at least yeah <laughs> yeah, so, <for> sure. <laughs> yeah i, I, I got a t i'm wearing a 
wearing a hat like a winter hat right now it's a toque because my house is cold i'm always cold <laughs> yeah I, I have one as well actually but uh, i think it's heated up a bit the last few days so i can't get away with the hat anymore um okay so let's, let's crack on really so uh so we always start these podcasts by looking at how my guests have found this whole covid pandemic roller coaster in terms of their mental physical and social health so very broad question really how is it all for you yeah, it's been good, man. It's allowed me to have time to reflect on what I want out of my life and actually made some moves. Six months ago, I resigned from my nine to five um, that I was working at for like 10 years. It was in the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. uh, I was working for the military, the Canadian military over here. And I've been going really hard online uh, with the range of strength brand and developing a lot of content and, um, yeah, I made the move during COVID. It was kind of like I was reflecting on the last 10 years and where I wanted to go and see myself in the next 10 years. So I think that was probably a positive for me. And in in talking to quite a few other people, it seems that it allowed a lot of people to maybe pump the brakes a little bit and think about their lives and think about what they're doing. And of course, within that, I think there's, you know, the chase of, you know, people are losing their jobs as well. And, you know, things like that are happening, but I think it has a, on a positive side, it's allowed many of us to kind of think a bit more about what we want out of life and, um, you know, kind of, kind of brings everything back full circle. And, um, I would say that's probably been the positive side. The, the negative side is probably just dealing with the restrictions as they come up. And we have, uh, three, children me and my wife and I we have three kids and their activities have been interrupted a lot and the school's been interrupted a lot they've lost a lot of their freedoms so just yeah finding finding the new kind of way about doing things and, and keeping keeping that positive outlook on on everything for them and that sort of thing but uh yeah that's kind of been how that's shaped for me and my family how have you been holding up over on your side yeah, not not bad. Um, so I'm I'm a healthcare worker. So we're the, we're one of those rare growth industries in a pandemic. So we've been obviously very busy. But um, but no, I think I agree with you. Actually, I think sometimes it's nice to have that forced time to take stock of your life and think about maybe where you can invest more time. I mean, people always say you've only got so much time in a day, so invest it kind of wisely. And for me. I put a lot of that time into fitness. Um, so I still work nine to five as normal, but I you know fitness outside of work, um, you know, little things like looking at finance and all sorts of avenues in your life, kind of really seeing where you can add more value, perhaps where you spend too much time, sure. not enough time. Yeah. But obviously, I mean, you you used to go by the handle of, well, so you still do in many ways, the body weight dad. So obviously family is quite an important part of your life. So has oh, that been really sure, nice yeah. to have that extra sort of time and that work-life balance perhaps improves slightly yeah I think I'm a dad like I'm a full-time dad always will be like that's a priority and it's been nice to find some freedom um you know it's it's been it was hard to get to where I am right now where I am working full-on online and you know from from home and that sort of thing but um yeah like a, a big motivator behind that was just wanting to be with my kids more and, and wanting to be here for whatever they needed. So 
um, yeah, their motivation behind, I think everything I do. Um, and as they get older, I want them to know that I've, I followed through with the things that I really wanted to get out of life. And I want them to kind of have that same application, you know, not to have any regrets or, or any kind of things that hold them back that shouldn't. (laughs) And they do sometimes, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's there. They play a big role in my life for sure. Well, yeah, it's it's amazing how many of my guests have fallen back on family as perhaps their main the main driver for all this so pre-pandemic obviously people maybe put work first or sport first or finance whatever it is they put that first in their life and then they've had this forced period of reflection and so many people have come up saying yeah you know whether it's spending time with their parents or their children or their extended family or friends and the thing they miss the most people aren't saying oh i really miss my job or I really miss well people do say that like I miss the gym and stuff like that but what people really miss is those like chances for human interaction with their family and friends and yeah I'm sure when we go hopefully in the next few months we go towards relative normality I think hopefully the family side of things will stay intact because that really has to be the overall positive from this whole experience people's interactions of their friends and family definitely and it's the world we live in now too right like you know um everyone works full-time full-on it's uh yeah it's it's definitely you have to charge harder nowadays to to keep up with the things that you want out of your life for your family and and i think it's been good to have that time to reflect and for many people and and just kind of see like yeah how important that time is that you can't get back oh yeah exactly and yeah it's so important and it's it's it can be overlooked and it was overlooked by many people including myself for probably for some time and one other positive which i found through this podcast and i'm, I'm sure you've done if you do your own podcast and you obviously your interaction on um, social media is people spoke for a long time about how the world's become smaller and more connected and in my role in my job i haven't necessarily seen that too much but the idea that I can be sat here now on a on an evening in London and I'm talking to you in Canada um, about sport and things that interest me and I've spoken to people from Australia and America and perhaps really this has allowed me to make more connections so you know enforce the ones you already have got but then yeah make more make find people around the world you can connect with who have similar interests and similar value and it's uh, and that's a real positive that can come from this experience for sure oh definitely Okay, so we're going to play a little um, ice-breaking game, which uh, has become a little tradition on this podcast. And um, I always take some form of inspiration from my guest's history. So in your case, which will come on to later on, you obviously were a powerlifter. Uh, so we're going to play a little game called Do You Even Lift, Bra? <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which uh, so I've actually got your stats here. And correct me if I'm wrong. These are from when you... Well, powerlifter, so going back some time. Um, your your personal best was squat two eighty, bench one sixty. I've got here and deadlift two six five. Those sound right. The yeah, those are those are competition lifts. The bench one seventy five was my best bench with a shirt on, bent like a, okay. a shirt. Like it depends on what we're talking. Are we talking raw? Are we talking <laughs> now? We're talking. We're talking sport, and I'm talking about my best. Um, 
Yeah, 280. That was equipped for me at 90 kilos squat. And I squatted 300 in the gym, 300 kilos. But my best raw was 250 with just a belt on. Um, bench, 175 in competition with a shirt. Yeah, and the 160, between 150, 160 mark was always like one of my go-to numbers. And the deadlift, I did hit 610. Is it 610 or 615 in pounds? Which is, I think that's, yeah, I think that's like 270 something. Do you, um, have I, have I missed, do, do, do the Canadians use the metric system like we do? Or are you, are you like your American cousins who are on the older? Uh, we're just, we're confused. We like powerlifting competitions, we use kilos, but when we go to the gym, we use pounds. So I think we're just oh, confused. <laughs> okay. Well, unfortunately the quiz isn't, uh, what were your stats? Cause you ruled them off perfectly. So that would have been <laughs> your quiz instead, uh, what we're doing is, so this game is. The current uh, world record, which was set last year by uh, four um, for deadlift, is 501 kilograms, which is, uh, for anyone listening in America, is 1,105 pounds. So a considerable amount of weight. Now, I've got here, uh, I've got 10 examples of different heavy things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want you to tell me if four could deadlift these, okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and obviously, before anyone messages in being pedantic, saying, "Oh, you know, it's different lifting a dead weight to lifting like a human," this is purely in terms of weight. So, first up, could four lift a white rhinoceros? So, when you say four, what what do you mean by that? Sorry, um, as in the four the uh, powerlifter. So. Um, uh four, so, four of the guys that lifted yeah yeah so 500 oh, okay. so his, his limit was 501 kilograms so basically okay, okay. the white rhino less or more than 501 i think a rhino is more <laughs> yeah it's correct. gotta be couldn't he couldn't lift that because they weigh uh 2300 kilograms yeah they're pretty heavy i think <laughs> uh what about do you reckon he could lift 100 bricks mm. Uh, he could do, yeah. 100 bricks yeah, raise approximately bricks. 310 kilos. So mm-hmm. he could do that. What about 40 gallons of water at room temperature, which is important? <laughs> uh, 40. I think that I think that would be just over. Uh, no, he could do that quite comfortably, actually. 40 really? gallons of water is 151 kilos. Holy smokes. So he could do a bit of quick maths here, probably at least 130 kilos, 150 gallons, which is a necessary amount. What about um, the minimum weight for a Formula One car, excluding the driver? Oh, I would think he'd be able to do that. That's pretty light, isn't it? It is pretty light, but not as light as you might think. It's uh, 746, so he wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, what about the weight of the England rugby pack? No, <laughs> that that would be ridiculous. That's nine hundred and forty-two. <laughs> uh, I think him and Eddie Hawke get together and just about manage that one. Yeah. Uh, what about a silverback gorilla? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, you could do. Yeah, they weigh up to two hundred and twenty-seven kilos. 
Um, right, last couple then. Uh, let's go with a grand piano. Oh, that's got to be right around the same. It's got to be. Yeah, I think so. You can lift that. Uh, you can lift that. Um, the average grand piano weighs 300 kilograms. Um, yeah. Those found in some of the big concert halls can be up to 500, but not over. So there we go. Uh, and then let's go with... Do you reckon he could deadlift 1,000 Big Macs? <laughs> I think probably at that size and strength, the motivation would be yes. He would probably want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could do. That weighs 210 kilos. Um, I'm sure he'd rather lift them one by one and place them in his mouth. But um, <laughs> yeah. that's up to him. And then I should go one, one final one. Do you reckon he could deadlift the first ever television set? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, you think he he can do? It's only just the first television set weighed four hundred and ten kilos. Holy, which is mental. That's crazy. <laughs> anyway. How'd you get that in your house? So thanks for playing. Do you even lift, bro? <laughs> so <laughs> that was good. That's good. So the ice is uh, nicely uh, nicely broken, so we can get on to the uh, serious matter at hand. So you you grown up in Canada. So give me a little insight into what sport was like for you when you were growing up. Well, I mean, we all grow up on ice. Um, so ice hockey plays a huge role in Canada, part of our culture. Um, and it's claimed that it was founded here <laughs> in Windsor, Nova Scotia, just around the corner from me. There's like actually a museum of like, you know, the birthplace of hockey. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I think everyone in Canada grows up wanting to play in the NHL and, you know, that I was able to play hockey for a long time at a competitive level. Um, but, uh, yeah, like that, it wasn't, wasn't the calling for me in the long run. Um, rugby was another, um, sport of choice for me and I, think I wanted to and I still kind of wish I would have played football but the schools were just separated in such a way that our school was like the only one that didn't have a football team we had a rugby team so I got pretty hard into rugby just for the fact that it was like what we had at school so I played at a school level and I played a little bit at a provincial level um had some ACL issues that I ran into that uh actually was what led me into the gym so yeah I mean that was kind of the sport aspect of growing up in Canada. Um, I played baseball. I was always, you know, my mother is always trying to put me in something. She put me in basketball. Like she raised me a single parent for probably half of the upbringing. I mean, she was a single parent, but she always tried to get me in sports and she signed me up for basketball one time at a, a school that it was for kids with disabilities. Yeah. <laughs> and then, it, I was the only one there that didn't have a disability and it, <laughs> I didn't really get the benefits from learning basketball from, from that program. But, you know, like that was just an example. My mom was like always looking for something to keep me active and engaged in, in some kind of sport or outlet. So it's pretty fortunate that way. Well, great. Yeah. Um, I mean, for so many people, sport plays a massive role in their formative years and um, that was obviously different for you. But as you alluded to, you didn't become an ice hockey player or a rugby player or a basketball player even. Um, 
you obviously found perhaps your initial calling in life perhaps as a powerlifter so how did powerlifting come about and what were you do towards that sport yeah so i had at the end of high school i suffered an acl injury so i was in the gym and um the orthopedic i was working with he wasn't prone to surgery if it wasn't needed so he actually had me in the gym a lot strength training uh, training my VMOs, my knees, uh, my quads. And I just got hooked. I was in the gym all the time. I wasn't able to play sports. Um, so rehabbing that kind of just led me to just being there. And I just got really hooked on strength training. Um, the small town where I am at, uh, basically, if you're going to the gym, you have one or two options. You're either going to spray tan and put a bikini on go on stage or you're going to power lift with the guys in the back with all the chalk and I was more uh, drawn to the guys that were powerlifting in the back with all the chalk so uh yeah I started powerlifting um following a club here and I started competing and that led me to becoming a coach working in the gym and training people and going to college like and even the college I went to, uh, the only reason I applied to go there was because um, there was a powerlifting gym uh, based out of that province where all the all the went like the champions were all coming into this guy's gym, and he was a champion lifter himself. So I went, applied to go to school there in Prince Edward Island, and uh, trained out of that gym for two years, Tom Nichols, and um, yeah, like I think powerlifting, yeah, it was really where everything started for me and developed that. Uh, you know, I guess you call it a calling and my life's work has basically started from, from that point. So that's kind of a little bit of background how that began. Yeah. So was, was that potentially a, well, a, a career slash um, real avenue for you long-term at the time? Did you see that as being a sign you could potentially earn money in? Yeah. Like powerlifting became like the focus, like, you know, having that, reason to train the reason to get strong the com competitive um kind of piece that i always loved about sport was there through powerlifting um and then seeing that i could make money as a coach as a strength coach and that there was a need for some like for sports teams um that was where i actually initially wanted to spend um like i wanted to work with sports teams and develop you know be a strength coach yeah. Um, so that was really aspiring. Like I was really aspiring to kind of go that Avenue. So through what I was doing in powerlifting, what I was doing in school, you know, that was all coming together to become, you know, my, my calling, my, my job. Like I, I really wanted to have that as like the, you know, the nine to five, the having my own business has always been my goal, my own yeah. gym. And it's kind of funny to see how, back then when I was dreaming about having my own gym, it's kind of like, I kind of live in that life right now, but it's like online. <laughs> it's like an online thing. I never thought online would be like this back then, but um, yeah, definitely all came together through that for sure. And that was where, yeah, when you start doing something you love and you realize you can do it for work. It's, it's like, That's a dream, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I mean, this podcast places a massive emphasis on injuries and, injury prevention, injury rehab, obviously based on my own experiences. So let's explore some of those injuries perhaps you had along the way in powerlifting and then finally talk about the one that ended up 
culminating that powerlifting part of your career. Yeah. Uh, big ones um, along the way, I, I tore trap muscle in my right trap. Uh, partial strain in my pec. Um, I forget what grade it was. Grade three is like not super bad, right? Grade one's bad, or is it the opposite? Um, I think the bigger the number, the worse. I think. Okay, is it a grade one? I think in my quad, yeah, my left quad. Um, little, you know, tweaks and stuff along the way for sure. Powerlifting, um, and then that bat, that last one uh, that ended everything was the bicep rupture, in my left arm. That was in competition. So, yeah, my bicep uh, let go competition during a deadlift. Had it repaired three days later, which I was very fortunate for, because the sooner you can repair it, the better the recovery. They did an endo button procedure, which is one of the, it's the newer um, procedure for the bicep repair. So they basically shave a bowl in the radius bone and they put a like steel button for the bone to grow over and they attach it that way. So I did have a stronger recovery in the bicep, like for the most part, it like looks like it's all intact still. Like, you don't, mm -hmm. you know, you see some tears where it's like, kind of looks like it's half gone. Um, yeah. So I think I was lucky that way. Rehab was good. It was long. Uh, the bicep injury was a lot longer than I thought it would be for rehabbing. Uh, it was like six months or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, those are, yeah. So, so, so at, at that point when you had that bicep injury, you always, did you always plan on going back to powerlifting competitively? I tried, I tried to go back. Um, so like, yeah, my goal, like as soon as that happened and I had heard of guys, actually one of the guys that I competed with talked to him a little bit, he had it happen. So there's a, it's actually, you know, more common than probably talked about in the powerlifting world. Like a lot of guys will, get them repaired and just jump right back in. So that was the thought there was, I was thinking about getting back into it. And then, I mean, my full-time job at the time was, um, I was a fitness instructor at the time for the Canadian military. So, I mean, part of that role was you had to be in good shape. <laughs> and yeah. I think at that injury, uh, I realized how bad, how bad shape I had gotten into. Like I developed basically, the potential to perform three movements really well. Um, I was overweight for sure. Um, just going through my rehab and starting to have to explore, you know, conditioning options that I wasn't, I got away from that. That's, you know, that happens when you get really competitive mindset and really hooked into something, uh, you kind of forget how far you're gone. So yeah, that injury really kind of opened my eyes to what kind of shape I'd gotten myself into and, the work that I had to start doing to get out of that, which wasn't really, I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to just get it in shape. Now it's actually, there was a time there where I thought about quitting my job and I was like, you know, I'll just pick up another field. And like, you know, you have those dips where you're thinking about, you know, what you're doing and why this, you know, just feeling bad for yourself, I guess. So there's a period of time there where, yeah, I was like, I was throwing in the towel. <laughs> I was going to, you know, go get a job and, start talking about the the good old days and you know <laughs> so there there was definitely yeah a, a little bit of time before there was that that mental shift to like okay how am i going to get out of this 
this rut and pull mm. things together. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that really scares me, the idea that one day, whether that be in the near future or the far future with my hip, that I'll probably have to call a day on doing certain things. And the idea that perhaps, you know, I might play my last game of hockey or rugby or do my last gym session or whatever is quite scary. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you, you said it was quite hard, but how did you turn that corner mentally? I just decided I was going to get like lean. That was the big thing. I was like, I got to change my body composition. Um, I think it's, you know, I was fortunate to have some uh, background in, in fitness and like some people, if you don't have that background and what you need to do outside of what you like doing, it may be harder to realize what it is that you need to do. And I had to change my body composition. Like number one, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to move any better until I start like, getting myself in better shape. So diet, diet was the first thing. Uh, I started intermittent fasting. I started like doing some research on that and, and reading more about how it had potential to keep your inflammation levels down. So that really appealed to me. It was like thinking about obviously rebounding from powerlifting, having inflammation from that and my injury and that surgery and stuff. So I started doing that and um, I started getting into body weight training. And that, and that turned into a rabbit hole when I started learning more about gymnastics and, and gymnastics led to handstand or uh, handstands and flexibility. Like that's where the flexibility journey really took, took a big turn was when I got into gymnastics and was thinking about how I had to get more flexible to have, you know, better strength in some of these movements I was trying to do. Um, but yeah, body composition was number one, man. I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get lean, gotta lose this weight. Um, I'm 85 kilos right now. And at that time I was over 110 kilos. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's a considerable, uh, yeah, considerable change in composition. I find yeah. um, your use of intermittent fasting quite interesting because there's fairly mixed reviews on, there's some very positive data, particularly about if you do it, um, I forget, is, is it, it's better to, better to have your meal free period in the mornings isn't it than the evenings the one one way around is better than the other i forget um it has something to do with um the hormone levels and stuff. rhythm yeah and just how we as um we're like nocturnal so it's like we can go hard all day without food and then at night we kind of eat and sleep yeah yeah and i know there's quite a lot of benefits potentially in terms of other elements so i remember reading a study that potentially linked improvements in uh, i think it was, it was intestinal cancer or colon cancer one of them to having that period where you're not digesting food and it allows mm -hmm. for improved recovery um and yeah you don't no one thinks about the digestive system as a muscle or as a you know well, part yeah. of the body that needs to recover and if i mean today's world we have so much access to food it's at the tip of our fingers whenever we want. It's like, our, our, I don't think our digestive system was designed to do that, like to just eat all day and just be working all day. So um, that, that's a huge one as well. It's like having periods of time where you're fasting. I got harder into fasting last year with real movement. We, we pushed that through the fat to free program. It's carnivore fasting kind of driven uh, nutrition. And uh yeah, like you come out of the backside of a three-day fast. That's the longest I've done them. And you're like, man, I eat too much. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and it's interesting. Obviously, you spoke about reducing inflammation through your diet. 
Um, yeah. There's also been some interesting evidence with um, reducing meat intake because sometimes can reduce inflammation. Is that something that you've looked into as well, or have you been? Yeah, you, for you sure. mentioned the more carnivore style. So, you you mean cutting meat out altogether for those periods? Uh, well, yeah, fasting periods through those protocols were uh, strictly like no food. Like I did okay. a few dry fasts, like nothing. Like I didn't have anything. Um, and then meat wise, uh, the whole meat thing is comes down to the type of meats we're eating too, more so than you know. When we look at these research papers, it's like okay, they're examining. Uh, kfc chicken and like yeah hamburgers from a fast food place it's like of course those are gonna have effects on your body just like highly refined sugars do so quality of meats is a huge one um and, and the same goes with like animal products like the type of animal products you're choosing uh dom rapson from origins nutrition i don't know if you follow him he's on instagram um he's brought a lot of those pr protocols like together to say like, okay, this is more, a more ancestral approach to like how you're going to eat or how we should remove certain things from our diet for inflammation. Um, so yeah, that's, I think the point there is more like the quality of the food it comes down to. Yeah, no, I mean that, 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 that that's correct. And I think, um, yeah, Simon, it's very often overlooked for the idea that I mean, people speak a lot about like, you know, your grass fed beef and, certain and i think it, it varies around the world what access you have to certain types of food and sometimes you know you walk into a local supermarket and you just grab your chicken but it's very true that the, the more processed that meat is and the more what that chicken's eaten will massively affect the quality of the, the, the quality of meat that you then take in and therefore the nutrition you take in therefore effects on um a whole range of effects but obviously include inflammation in this context um but yeah, no, and actually, I'm, I'm cautious we're going to go down a few rabbit holes here and end up going on to some quite interesting topics, which is great. But before we get to that, I do kind of want to finish off your journey a little bit to get to where you are now. So obviously, you mentioned it there, getting into more sort of gymnastics and flexibility stuff. And you took you started doing, is it um, GMT? Is that the acronym you go by? GST, is it? G GST. Uh, yeah, GST would be, I think, what we were using back then as gymnastic strength training. Okay. Uh, so what exactly does that really entail and what sort of short and then long-term benefits did you have from doing so? Well, the realization for me when I started um, getting into the body weight work and then versus gymnastics strength training was my viewpoints on body weight training prior to that were more um, just around like the basics of like push-ups and pull-ups and dips and squats like pistol squats like there wasn't uh any i guess meat to it it was just like basics and yeah. you know once once you develop good core basics of these you go right into weights um and then when i started getting into the gymnastic strength training work it was like okay straight arm strength skills uh levers um just changing positions to pursue max strength like i really resonated with that because it really um, it, it, it matched up well with all the things I loved about powerlifting and strength training. It was like the pursuit of max strength. Um, and I found out a lot about my body, about how weak I was. Like I couldn't even, so you, I mean, imagine I had had a, a bicep re repair 
And yeah. now I'm, I'm learning straight arm strength for the first time. So it's kind of like double-edged sword. I was like, for, first of all, I probably couldn't have straightened my elbow to begin with. And now I'm coming back from this and I'm trying to learn how to actually straighten my elbow and develop a proper scapular position. And all this stuff was just completely foreign to me. I didn't grow up in gymnastics or anything. Yeah. So it was like, I had to relearn how to position my body against gravity and like all these, it was very cool time to be learning. Cause uh, it was, it was like finding powerlifting for the first time. Like, you know, I would fallen off and I thought, you know, I was done. I was, and then all of a sudden I was excited about everything again, the fitness and, and strength. So yeah, those were kind of the big things there for me when, when that started. Yeah. We, we had a guest on a few weeks back. Um, her name's Simone Ming. So she's a, she's a world champion in calisthenics. Um, and she participated in Ninja Warrior here in the UK and various awesome. other interesting attributes all to do with sort of strength-based, but obviously a lot of bodyweight exercises. Um, and I tried some of the bits out she suggested. And if anyone wants to be humbled by how strong they are, just, you need to try bodyweight stuff and realize mm-hmm. how no matter, you know, you might be able to shift some decent weight around the gym. I'm a regular gym goer, so I can, I feel like I can hold my own in like a gym scenario, but you know, can you do a muscle up? Can you do, um, can you do these basic holds? I mean, how long can you keep your feet off the ground? All these really foreseen are very basic things. And I think mm-hmm. it looks so simple often when you see someone do them. Like just like when I watch you on Instagram, do a handstand walk or a handstand, handstand press up and like that, you think, oh, it looks quite simple. Like it's just, yeah, tip over, up you go. But then as you do it and you realize how hard it is from a mental side as well as from a physical side. And sure. And yes, if you want to be humble, check that out. But what um, what's interesting with you is you you're probably the first person I've seen who's really um, demonstrated what I'd call unbelievable flexibility for uh, for a man, anyway. So um, I think I hadn't seen too many men execute like the full splits before, just like on on the Instagram feed. And then you've gone beyond that. So sort of how flexible would you say you are now? Can you put like a quantitative term on it? I don't know. Do they, do they measure quantitatively flexibility? Yeah, for sure. And that's what I try to do in the teacher training I do is get coaches to learn better how to quantify flexibility targets, stuff like that. Cause that's what I did. You know, like I, my whole journey with flexibility was always putting that coach's hat on to be like, how do I quantify what I'm doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> because everyone approaches flexibility, um, similar to gymnastics like you're talking about like they see someone do something they're like oh i can do that and it's like no i can't and they approach splits like that like i'll just slide down the splits and it'll just come it's like no it's not gonna come (laughs) you're just gonna get hurt um so for me yeah wait what what was the question again start (laughs) um what was the questions (laughs) i was saying um quantifying was it like yeah uh, yeah like yeah so how do you quantify the oh like where i'm at right now yeah yeah where you are now yeah in terms of like Like where i'm at right now i can maintain the things i've achieved and i i did get to that stage i unlocked splits like when i unlocked the size split it was like like almost like the pinnacle for me i was like i just did a side friggin' split like what's next and then at that stage it was more about like okay am i gonna become like a contortionist or something like, I don't know, like how can I now bring this back into the traditional way of training? And that's really what range of strength stands for is like, it's everything like flexibility 
is everything in your training and, and flexibility is strength training. And, and that's the piece there is like, you have more options with the more range that you can demonstrate. Um, splits is obviously something that can catch someone's attention and something that you can train better towards, but being able to then for me, like after obtain, obtaining a pretty high, and I went really monk on that stuff, man. Like I was like locked in a room stretching and like not doing, like I was like full blown monk <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying, trying to get flexible. But then on the back end of that, when I came out with this newfound freedom, I was like, okay, I'm going to get back into the weights and I'm going to start smashing some stuff the way I used to. And I'm going to prove to the world that they don't know much about flexibility and how to carry that over to the way that people think they need to train now. So that's really what range of strength stands for is like bringing that kind of new outlook on strength training and, and training towards freedom of movement rather than just more weight on the bar. It's like, like, yeah, what is the range of your strength though? I don't care how much you can squat, how deep can you squat? Like, yeah. Yeah. And that, mu- that must, um, that must link quite well into your, I suppose your role when you were doing the army stuff in, with uh, the Canadian army, because it's the idea of having, um, what's the first best way to say this having useful strength having mm-hmm. a practical application of that strength so so many things we do in modern world and in sport actually have very little real world application so being able to uh do a deadlift is great but it's only great if you can actually lift um real things in terms of real application so if you can just lift a bar from one place to another isn't probably quite as useful as if you could lift a bar with a variety of flexibility and mobility yeah. in the same way, like doing a clean and jerk is great. But if you could do that, you know, with more, more range of motion that must have more practical applications. So yeah, I think you're right. If you can integrate that flexibility with the strength training, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think that was one of the, the limits I did have working in the military though, is there's a lot of red tape yeah. <laughs> and things have to go through many channels um, and many teams before they're approved to be implemented. So I never was really able to do a lot of the things I was doing in my own training that I thought could really change and impact a lot of what they're doing, uh, within the programming because it was, uh, kind of forbidden. So in the, the culture there is still more like neutral spine. Don't let your knees go over your toes. Um, so modify, modify, modify and bubble wrap, bubble wrap. And, um, yeah, that's where I think I was getting really limited mm. uh, in, in what I was, the impact I was able to make. It was basically like I just made an impact on myself. I was doing online training and trying to, you know, showcase like the abilities that you could have with the clients I was training and stuff. And But the military, they ended up getting pretty blocked that way. So, Okay, yeah. And then obviously so you were you were up at sort of like a 110 kilos like you said and then you cut down now to sort of in the mid 80s and it looks to me like you had a bit of a knockdown and rebuild approach a little bit so you sort of knocked down a lot of your strength you got down to a much lighter weight and then improved flexibility and then strengthened up again do you think it'd be possible looking at other people for you to have gone from where you were to where you are now but with more flexibility and mobility or do you think it had to be a knockdown and rebuild approach definitely a better way to integrate it that's what i've been doing for the last year uh with the real movement team and range of strength is we've been building these coaching courses and these programs where it's like okay how do we integrate these into systems that are you know not completely abandoning 
one or the other and, and allowing people to make progress in, in multiple ways. Um, I think initially there has to be some buy-in to doing it. So there does have to be some commitment to say like, okay, I'm going to go all in on this for like maybe a couple months and just see what kind of changes I can make just so you can get that buy-in and say like, okay, now that you know what you can do, let's go harder. Cause I mean, that's always the case too, is people have reservations with something new. Um, they're going to always ask questions and self-doubt it. And that's actually going to be part of what blocks them from making progress. Um, so I think there's definitely up more upgraded systems now. And I look at them and I'm like, I probably could have shaved off a year at least in my journey. with some <laughs> of the things I learned and that I know now with working with other people, but yeah, being able to bring that forward as a way of like helping others find that freedom of movement better is, um, I think a better place to be in to know that you've gone through it. You've troubleshooted everything um, and worked with enough people to know what you're up against. If you come up, like up in these different scenarios or someone has different issues and things like that, um, I think that's a better way to present it really. Well, yeah. And I think people respond to having mass testing. Like if you take a scientific approach when, you know, you test a, a new vaccine, which obviously is very typical at the moment. Um, testing it on multiple people, multiple different issues, different ages, different genders and stuff sort of provides more evidence and just having one successful test. So obviously you were that initial patient zero, you were that, you were that first test. But if you could then replicate the results you've had, which obviously very impressive with a whole variety of people, then that can only really be positive for your brand. Yeah, absolutely. That was the goal too with, you know, getting to that point with range of strength was, you know, let's, do this on a lot of individuals and, and see what kind of results we can get. We've been experimenting with some different methods for sure. Like the range of strength protocols method is, um, I don't know if anyone else is doing flexibility that way right now, but it, um, it's, it's a bit different. And, you know, before we were able to even really establish that as something that we should promote, we had to try it on a lot of people and invite, invite a lot of people to try it out um, to see how they, they'd go with it. But yeah, I mean, that's the way you got to do it. You got to be able to replicate your results multiple times before you have something to really, you know, throw your hands up in the air about and, and make a big deal about. Yeah, and it's, I suppose you probably get some resistance as well from certain people. I remember growing up when I first went to strength training, and I believe this rumor is probably still going now, the idea that flexibility isn't conclusive to strength. So you know, when you're get when you want to be strong, you kind of want to have shorter muscles almost. You want to be more compact. Um mm -hmm. and that is definitely a myth. And the more and more you speak or you see interviews of some of these really successful, you know, world's strongest men or powerlifters, Olympic lifters, so much of their time spent on mobility and stretching and having that improved range of motion. But is that something you still find now when you go into gyms, people are quite resistant to that to that uh, oh, flexibility sure. program? Oh, for sure. For sure. Like you can't do. And that's the thing too, with, you know, getting the word out there is I got to not dumb it down, but really like pull back. If you get into like an inner circle of people that are all into the same things, talking about the same things all the time, you kind of forget that, you know, if I go to a gym and talk to someone that doesn't know anything, they don't even know what a horse stance is for side splits. And it's like, Oh, it's okay. Like let's start at ground zero and talk about how you actually should stretch. Um, so I think, yeah, there's definitely still uh, a big 
a big percentage of people that really don't understand what flexibility actually is. And flexi- flexibility is strength. And that's why the range of strength name, um, I think works so much better when you say that to people because then they understand it's like, oh, it's the range of your strength. It's like, yeah, that's what flexibility is. It's the range of your strength. It's not just some passive um, range that you're born with or it's just like natural or temporary also is the, the other myth that someone thinks if I stretch and I open up my range, it's only temporary. It's not going to stay. Um, so yeah, there's definitely still a lot of work to do. And that's why I like working with coaches. So working with coaches this year, it's like if I help five coaches that all have 50 clients, it's like, it's like 2,500 people that I couldn't help or reach yeah. out to. So, um, yeah, I think it's more impactful that way for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, that is, that is really the best way to grow any message is to share it. People who are going to share it and share it and share it. And that's, you know, I mean, we've seen that, an example of that exponential increase when it came to like a virus this year and the way it spreads going, you know, two, four, eight and so on. And um, the same goes for any sort of message. If you can spread it in an exponential format going through different multiple people, it's better. Uh, but the, mm-hmm. anyway, the, re- the main reason I got you on this episode, apart from obviously being a bit of a fan of your work and wanting to know more about your story, was because I wanted to see kind of what your approach flexibility could do for me as a as an amateur athlete but also for people who are listening at home who participate in a whole range of sports so we've seen mm-hmm. how it can benefit you you know improving your strength and flexibility as a strength athlete uh, but what i'm interested in is say for me as someone who does hockey or rugby or you know some of my previous guests who have done a whole variety of sports what what can improving flexibility and strength in doing so the way you have how can that really benefit our sports? Uh, number one would be mitigating injury. I don't like the word prevention because you can't, you can't really prevent it all the time, right? Like it's, it's unpredictable. But if you think about, you know, your movement options and your ability to just adapt to different positions and be like sports training is very unpredictable, any sport. Like you don't know what position you're going to be in. Um, what kind of impact you're going to be brought up into the more movement options that you have and not just passively, but strong and strength, the more resiliency you will have to getting injured and you'll be able to make decisions faster. Uh, Again, flexibility is, I think the whole playing field, like if you don't have the flexibility, your agility won't get better because you won't be able to move and make decisions as fast because you don't have as many movement options. Um, even your endurance, uh, your gait, you know, like flexibility, poor flexibility will fatigue your gait sooner. So those restrictions in movement, uh, you, you won't be able to have an efficient gait. So you won't be able to move at your max velocity. And also if you take collision with poor movement in your gait and, and you don't have that accessibility, you, you're definitely more susceptible to, to, uh, not coming back from that hit collision tolerance like all of that stuff um yeah i think there's a uh, there's a better way to do it Uh, a lot of the athletes that you know you see do have these movement freedoms they stretch a lot they do for sure but i'm not sure if they know how they got that range like i know they take it more seriously because i think some of them just have always done it and have always had it and that's the problem is that 
you can demonstrate it and you've always had it, but how did you get it? And how are you going to help someone else get it? And that's really the problem to solve because everyone's walking around thinking that they can't get flexible. Um, and they can, if they actually work on it the right way. So I think that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I think that's really important. I think one thing from my experience of trying to improve flexibility is it's, and probably because I'm doing it wrong, it's a very slow process. So, mm-hmm. um, so a little update on me. I'm, I've got, I've got a weird mixture of flexibilities. So I'm actually, uh, I've actually got hypermobility syndrome or like double jointed in other words. So it means I've got like my knees, for example, like, you know, are quite bendy for knees, but obviously my hamstrings aren't. So I can, the knee bends too much actually, but the actual in terms of like, you know, touching your toes, et cetera, that's no good. I'm actually quite poorly flexible when it comes to, um, particularly hamstrings um and sort of uh, your glute muscles a lot of those sort of lower leg a lot of the traditionally tight muscles from doing lots of sort of sport and running uh but on, on the flip side so I, I did a lot of swimming as a kid i'm not sure this is linked to it but i'm very flexible when it comes to my shoulders um and the sort of rotator muscles so you know, I, I can do the old, you know, arm behind the head and I can scratch my lower back and so on. So I'm very flexible in those compartments but very unflexible in others. But when I wanted to improve flexibility, because I've always valued that it must play quite an important role in injury prevention. So, you know, and, and I'll spend, you know, half an hour, an hour, whatever, every night, you know, trying to touch my toes, got the older uh, resistance bands out, got my around your feet and try and do those classic, you know, deep hold stretches and the progression you see is very slow like you do see a slow improvement flexibility but at a rate that's much less than you see the gain in strength from the strength training so i'm saying when you talk to strength athletes you spend a month you know lifting weights you might add an extra 10 20 kilos to your one rep max if you spend a month just doing the traditional stretches you probably see a very small increase in flexibility so so i think that's one of the challenges you have really is trying to get people engaged for long enough yeah that's what my sprint does so the 30-day sprint exposes you to the real way to train flexibility and most people do see a substantial improvement not anything like no splits to splits but substantially like oh my god like my flexibility improved a ton in 30 days because i i basically strength trained my flexibility for 30 days for the first time ever because one of the biggest mistake people make is they do just sit in stretches almost daily and they don't see anything but that strength component when it's broken down properly is so much more important isometrics and the static active flexibility components are almost never there so even just exposing someone to those over 30 days can make a huge impact you know presenting them to these uh big um positions showing them how to contract and 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 hold these isometric positions most people have access to these ranges and they just don't know how to access them. They don't know how to train to open those up. So I think that's why I get a lot of buy-in with the the range sprint is because it's like, Oh, I can do that for 30 days. And then when they see the result from 30 days, and again, it's not like Van Damme splits or anything, but it's like, they're like, Oh my God, like I'm actually seeing these improvements for the first time. Then they go deeper. And then, you know, they go into the, I'm going to train my flexibility. Now I'm going to commit to this way of training. So, so I think, uh, let's, let's say I'm now a convert and I'm interested in, uh, pursuing, improving my flexibility. So 
obviously you haven't got to give away all your secrets, but where would we, where would we start with someone like me? The big thing is that everyone needs to have some baselines and some targets that they're shooting for. And those targets always can't be splits because that's maybe too aggressive of a target. So there has to be those targets in between uh, to measure. So beginner's ability to do a, a fold, like a pike, palms of floor, touching toes kind of thing is a good standard. Um, knee flexion, degrees of knee flexion is another good standard. Ankle dorsiflexion and having movements that you're working towards that are going to help those things improve. Um, that's that's number one. So establishing those targets, like, okay, what are our primary targets with your current level of ability? Where are those at? And then we build exercise selection and volume around your current ability to demonstrate those ranges. Um, you can train for splits. Like even, like I could have my grandmother training for splits. It would just be the exercise selection. It has to be appropriate to what her level of ability is. Like she won't be in split positions, but if we think about the splits as a, you know, a group of muscles, so her adductors, you know, piriformis, muscles through the groin, like you just can build a better uh, flexibility system around than it just being just random. Most, most flexibility programs that I see that are like accessible for people like that are just random stretches. It's like, here are some stretches for your neck. Okay. What am, what am I working for? What's the outcome? Um, there's no outcome really. And then they just go back to the traditional approach of training and the movement remains the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's some good uh, food for thought. And I think I, I think I'm certainly going to try and look into doing more of this after we finish talking here, maybe looking at getting involved on these programs and we'll get on mm. to later on. We'll talk about how people, other people can access that sort of stuff. One thing that is quite interesting as well is I've had this conversation with a few different guests and it's interesting because here in the UK, we probably got one approach and it might be very different to how you do things in Canada, but I've always felt perhaps more could be done when when athletes are younger. So particularly in schools, um, maybe the way in this country, particularly we approach fitness for younger people. So I know there's, there's very little work done on mobility. I think that is improving even the last few years since I've left school. But when I was at school, there was not much emphasis put on mobility or flexibility or basic body weight exercises and calisthenics um which is why i think it's crazy to think how much sport as a kid but i got to the age of like 18 and i couldn't really do a pull-up because even though i've been going to gym for a while i had certain you know massive strength deficits and uh sort of disproportional ranges of strength that Mm. doing something like a pull-up was was really hard for me and obviously i've you know i've developed that over the years and um other people, you know, I, I see you can't even do a push up and so on. So it's kind of this weird. We do so much sport. And in, in this country, we do a fair amount of sport through PE lessons and stuff, but it's not, it's not necessarily conclusive to having the right strength and the right body mobility and stuff. And then that's, that's mm-hmm. obviously going to lead to misbalances and then long term injuries. And then, particularly when we have this culture in Britain, when, you know, you do sort of general sport and then you get, especially as a bloke, you get to the age of like 15. And then you're given like the keys to the gym, so to speak. And you go in there and then you start grabbing heavy things and doing stuff with them. And even if you've got a particular, particular program to follow or, or strength trainer, you still get strength to strength. But, you know, there isn't like a, 
there isn't like a, you know you got you got to do this before you can do it so you got yeah. to do you know a press up before you can do a bench press or you've got to do you know muscle up before you can start doing clean and jerk or whatever it is but yeah we kind of we don't go in with that calisthenic awareness we go straight in with weights so i suppose oh, that's a very wordy question but what i'm trying to get in at is do you think the approach taken by schools and you know junior clubs could be improved to incorporate oh, yeah. some of the stuff you do yeah absolutely 100 percent. and i think a lot of those things come down to um like i like the quote leader the leader is the limiter because the people putting these programs in place, they can't demonstrate a press up for the most part themselves. So, you know, having a diploma or a degree that says, you know, enough about exercise isn't enough. You have to be able to, we have to hold a better standard to individuals that are leading these programs and they have to be able to demonstrate some kind of physical capacity before they lead um, the youth of tomorrow down the path themselves and i think that should that capacity should involve flexibility and body weight strength and things that we lose we lose because we don't you know you use it or lose it kind of thing with these things especially flexibility uh today's youth are getting less and less flexible like they're, they're coming out of you know the back end of high school and you know they can't touch their toes and it's it's just crazy it's crazy um but i think that it does come down to people in charge of these programs and leading these programs and putting too much emphasis on just a degree and not enough on the physical abilities as well. That was probably one thing I did like about working in the military is there was always a physical ability assessment. So yeah. it didn't matter, like it didn't matter how many, you know, courses you took this year, if you didn't pass your physical, you didn't have your job. It's like part of the, I both went hand in hand. And I think that's why I also resonate so much with real movement and in developing uh, courses there if anyone wants to come out as a, a coach or having said they completed one of my certifications then that means a lot more to them physically because they've actually demonstrated a standard of physical ability to pass so they've actually had to do a back bridge they've had to do um, you know portions of splits not even full splits really but even just demonstrate certain capacities they have to do um, these uh extra like these movements to showcase that they have a physical ability because if you don't have a physical ability yourself at least at least at a moderate level how are you going to help anyone else like if you can't demonstrate it yourself yeah um yeah that, that's that's always a funny one for me when you see gym instructors who who aren't who i forswear they don't demonstrate the target you're going for so mm -hmm. i think if you're going for aesthetics and you know you get you get a personal trainer and they're like massively overweight um or you know really yeah, weak and of course i mean there there is an element of you know their education their education's good enough so they they've learned the exercises but it always seems like ironic if you're being told to do something can you go well you can't do it yourself or you can't you told oh, i don't eat this but you go well you've clearly been eating that or and it's much more motivational when you when you see someone in the gym who's trying to teach you something and you go yeah well you've clearly done that and i can see it's work so i'm gonna fuck me and do what you said whereas yeah yeah if you're not getting that well, another interesting thing actually is have you ever come across a guy called david goggins yes yeah, yeah he's, he's an interesting one because he's he's a lot more famous in america and canada i guess um than he is over here because when i talk to people over here about him people look at me quite blankly so he's quite a big name <laughs> in different parts of the world but he spoke a lot 
I think I read, read his autobiography a couple of years back and uh, it was a great read. And he spoke about how he became so tight in his muscles that he experienced lots of other effects on his body. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if anyone doesn't know, a quick summary, David Goggins, um, he is uh, he is mental, to put it, to put it bluntly. He uh, he was a he was Maybe a seal. Um, seal. Yep. So I about to say Royal Marine. Yeah. Of course, no, he was he was a seal in America. He uh, had he he decided he he was very overweight. He then became a seal, and then when he was in the seals, he obviously did various tours with the seals. But he started all these sort of ultra endurance challenges. We did ultra Ironmans and ultra marathons, and um, you know the bad water races in America, and all sorts of like really serious tough challenges. And he's all about having this like really strong mindset, but obviously his body took a big toll from that because he, I think, I don't know if he still holds it, but he had like the world record for pull-ups, for example, um, you know, the most pull-ups in 24 hours, I think it was. And he ran and said he ran these crazy races where he's running over hundred miles regularly. Um, and his muscles got really tight and he spoke about when he then employed a flexibility regime and kind of had that quite obsessive almost what you were saying about having that kind of monk approach, like a really obsessive approach to flexibility. He found all these benefits in terms of, I think he was having um, hormone imbalances and headaches and all sorts of things, which you wouldn't say related to having tight muscles. So from your point of view, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but have, have you seen or heard of other benefits other than the, the physical more being more flexible to improving flexibility? I think that's why people like yoga so much because they can channel into the other side of flexibility, which is more meditative. Um, the process of channeling into your parasympathetic nervous system is not something that we can readily do in today's society, which is go, 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 go. But if we can find better ways to channel into that system, we can find ways to relax, relax our bodies, relax our muscles and our mind. And that side of flexibility is another reason why I love it so much is because there is the strength side to it. So I'm training my flexibility to make it stronger and better and increase my range. But then there is that passive in the moment side to it, many different forms of it. Uh, is it systema? It's like the Russian kind of form of movement where it's kind of like limbering. Uh, dancers have limbering routines, like it's called like bounds and, um, different ways of moving the body and just like doing these different kind of flexibility, passive um, kind of routines. And even yoga, you know, like God love yoga. I tried it at the start and it didn't work for me because I just didn't have the right instructor and the right, um, it's not really a good starting point if you don't have flexibility. Like, yeah, <laughs> I enjoy yoga so much more now because I can access these ranges I couldn't at the start. Like when I first tried yoga, I was like, I'm just not even doing anything. I'm just like sitting here sweating. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, one, one of the strange things with yoga, in my experience, is you have that. It's almost like quite judgmental when you first mm-hmm. go into it because like, you know, the average person who first does yoga, they, they generally are terrible at it because you haven't got the range of motion like you alluded to and you might not have the balance and all the sort of elements that come into that. So you end up, you always feel like, you know you're, you're you're going for such a low point and you're like the worst person in the room and then i think people then maybe are put off by that because it's quite um i don't want to term for it is really i don't want to say elitist because that's not really the, the intention of yoga but it is like you do feel quite self-conscious it's a place, 
yeah it's a place for people that already have range <laughs> yeah oh yeah exactly yeah so then you feel like okay i can't be here until i have this range i don't know how to get this range yeah and i'm gonna then, go uh, away stretch and then come back <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> which uh, um, which obviously is what we've done wrong because we haven't been stretching correctly like you needed to yeah um okay yes yeah, so i think i think we kind of covered a lot of the really main main points there and i know i for one will be looking more into this probably post this interview and kind of seeing how i can implement some of the things you've spoke about um but so we always finish off with any other business which is a chance to talk about anything from the world of sport or the world on the whole which interests my guests does anything spring to mind with you um well we, we do have a lot of new things going on on the real movement platform um like every i don't know if you're familiar with the real movement platform but it's a it's a platform for coaches and athletes um and we're trying to to put together an elite system of holistic fitness and health. Okay. So uh, more, I guess, range of strength is a piece of that. Um, there's other strength training systems involved in there, nutritional uh, systems. And we're ju- we've just launched a new app. It's pretty cool. It's the first of its kind. Uh, it has communication platform and programming platforms all in one. So we have a variety of uh, these programs, like all my range of strength programs are on there. Uh, Keegan Smith's programs, Ben Patrick has programs on there. He's over to this guy. Um, and when you go into the app now, there, I don't know if you've had, been on a um, training platform before where someone assigns you a program, you actually can go in and look at all the programs yourself and assign them to yourself. And, and like under our direction, it's, it's pretty cool because it builds autonomy to the users to actually say like, you know, oftentimes it's like you do want the coach, but you also want to see all the programs and just get asked questions, right? So, yeah, that's you know that's what's new and exciting in in our world right now is we're launching this app, and um, it's exciting because no one's really doing it that way yet. So we're building out this new platform for communications and training. That's pretty cool. Um, and you, there may be some promotions coming out around that soon too. So keep an eye out. At Real Movement is the Instagram. Um, site or realmovement.com but that's where all the actions happening for us it's a lot of cool stuff going on over there yeah yeah um yeah so i implore everyone to go and check all that out because i'm sure that's very interesting how um it's interesting as well because you you've obviously you started off this is now obviously a full-time venture but originally you were sort of using more kind of social media alone and then now you've gone into this kind of avenue where, where do you really see this going in the future i'd like to have uh some more in-depth mentorship so i would really like to go hard with like a small group of 10 people for a year and just just mentor them through everything i know you know have them squatting and doing splits that may not be something that's happening soon but it's becoming more clear um part of uh, my, my platform, you'll get um, a potential to do a 12 week mentorship with me. So it's like a deep teacher training lesson on top of having access to all the other courses. But I think, yeah, for the future, for me, I'd like it to become a little more intimate with the core group of people, take them on a, a journey over a year. Uh, and I'd also like to, once the pandemic uh, slows down, I'd like to get out see, and do some, some workshops and some, see some people. Yeah, I think that'd be very well received. And just just from talking to you, I mean, I think it's very, you've got a good story and clearly great results. So I'm sure those two things will come together to be very successful. 
Um, so I suppose that leads me to do really is to thank you for joining me. Uh, just remind everyone where they can find out more about you and your program. Yeah. So my biggest platform is Instagram. Um, my tag is at range of strength, all one word. And you can find me on all the other platforms. Realmovement.com will be where all the content um, and services that I provide is offered. So those are the two main platforms to uh, connect. Fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. So once again, just thanks a lot for joining me. Good luck for the rest of the year. And yeah, yeah we'll stay too. in touch. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome guest in Lucas Hardy there. A perfect example of how making incremental improvements and how sometimes you don't really see those improvements day by day. I remember a great quote from the late Steve Jobs. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect to them looking backward. I currently cannot touch my toes, but it would be great to see how flexible I could become and how my performance could benefit in perhaps a month or even a year. This analogy can be applied to life rather than just flexibility, of course. And it seems like rather fitting thought one year since that COVID lockdown anniversary. What have you achieved in this year? Was it planned? Was it unexpected? What opportunities unexpectedly presented themselves to you? Remember to take that time to reflect and connect those dots. I would strongly recommend you now heading over to at Range of Strength on Insta um, or the Range of Strength website to find out more about Lucas and partake in some of these courses he has to offer. Also, please head over to at tips underscore and underscore dips with a Z for more details on the, my latest guests, some new product testing I'm attempting, and of course, some upcoming competitions. Now, this week, the weather here in the UK has taken a much needed upward turn, at least momentarily. And it has led to me realising via some self-discovery, I am in fact quite a selfish person and I don't like to share properly. Probably on account of me being an only child. There's a lot of fair weather athletes, golfers, runners, runners, tennis players, etc. I should be happy and grateful to see so many people participating and loving health and sports. But I run around the same woods here in Croydon most days of the year. Rain, snow, wind. And suddenly, now the weather's nice outside, I can't go within half a mile of that car park. It's the same with gyms in January. It's obviously great for people to be active, but I can't help but feel frustrated that I've got a cue for the bench press. Anyway, that's me talking nonsense. I really hope you all get out and you get active and you make the most of our newfound freedom. And all that leaves me to say is stay connected, stay reflective, and as always, most importantly, stay safe.